Hello, Mr. Andrew Chamberlain. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? I'm very well. Are you still are you still an award winning podcaster this week? Always from now and forever. Forevermore. <laughs> yes. Elisa Pratt, Brewer Pratt Solutions, award winning podcaster, award winning author. Yes. I, I wear that badge now permanently and with pride. I like and that. I, I welcome you to uh, the newest episode of Association Transformation. Thank you the very much. Award winning podcast. Thank you very much. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, and, and what a pleasure it is. And actually today I'm going to kind of, um, I know you, you all, we always have our little, you know, little banter where you abuse me for a few <laughs> minutes and then we move on. Hold on, um, let me get my violin for you. <laughs> but I'm going to take, I'm going to take a bit of a lead here in terms of sort of introducing this subject, because actually this is, you know, this is, this is, this is one that you've brought to the table. Uh, Thank you, you, yes. you've, you've said to me, actually, I want to talk about this. And I'm like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like this. You, 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 you came to me with continuous disruptive innovation, which I just, I love. And I've never heard of it. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is exciting. This is something new. I love exciting and new stuff. And you came to me and you said, right. Okay. There's this, there's this, this concept that's out there, continuous disruptive innovation. I want to talk about it in the new, you know, in terms of the nonprofit space. I want us to, take it apart, understand it, and sort of demonstrate to our listeners, uh, both of them, um, what, you know, what, what, how we understand uh, this concept and how it can apply to the nonprofit world. And so I did a little bit of research myself because oh, it's only fair you. and proper. It's only fair and proper if I'm, you know, being asked to discuss something, I should know something about it. And so, you know, there's this, this article um, that you bounced across to me, which I love. And then I was reading it again, and I thought, this article was published 12 years ago. Right. This is not a new concept, which I think makes it even that much more legitimate. Yeah. It was originally conceived of um, during the competitive for-profit technology boom. Um, mm-hmm. Well, post, post uh, I don't know, what are we calling that? Post-recession. Um, yeah, but yeah, it was on the, 2000... on the back of 2008. And this yeah. was, yeah, mm-hmm. But in in 2010, we had corporate examples that had played themselves out and could therefore then be studied. And you had two different paths. One was a blockbuster type path and and one that was more of an Apple or Google type path. Mm -hmm. Different types of companies, for-profit companies that, that approached disruption differently. And as I read this article and, you know, you did inspire me when we, when we chatted about attention economics, uh, you know, I, I was inspired to go and, and learn more about different concepts that could be brought into the nonprofit space and that we as associations and charities and nonprofits could learn from. Mm-hmm. And for me, mm-hmm. continuous disruptive innovation is an opportunity to approach investment and risk and experimentation aggressively with a mind and an awareness of our competition. As I work with organizations and you say, okay, what's your, what's your space look like? What's your environment? What's that environmental scan look like? And rarely do people talk about what their competitors are doing in the nonprofit space. You absolutely have competitors. You have competitors for your members, time competitors for your members, money Mm -hmm. competitors for your donors, Mm -hmm. uh, interest Mm -hmm. and investment. And I think that's under undervalued, underrepresented, under considered, and go ahead. Well, I think I think also, you know, now and, and we've we've mentioned this before, you know, in terms of competition is global now. 
competition is global. Um, so we have um, our sister associations around the world who are potential, either hopefully one would hope collaborators, but equally competitors. So I think, you know, I think I'm, I'm loving what you're saying about, you know, opening our eyes to the fact that actually, um, you know, we have to be competitive for our members, for our members' money, as well as our members' commitment. So talk to me, tell me what is, right? Tell me what is continuous disruptive innovation. How do I understand it? All right. So I'm, I'm, I'm an early student to this. So I, I encourage anyone who's listening, who knows more about this than, than we do to, you know, switch off, message now. us, <laughs> chime in, uh, you know, tweet, tweet us immediately um, about where we're going wrong with this. But as I understand it, this con- continuous disruptive innovation is about driving sustained value creation. You know, originally those who would disrupt disruption was considered a, a product or a technology, something that changed or turned an industry on its ear. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And then those that had that disruptive service or, or program or technology, they shifted into a defensive mode. They wanted to protect themselves, build walls around that, and protect the market and the audience that they had then acquired. Okay. Instead, through continuous disruptive innovation, which is is not as as common, um, the the author here, um, uh, Mr. Chris Catapano um, of uh, of Bridge Bridge Sphere, and I've messaged him. I've invited him to come on a future podcast. Oh, you're um, good. You know, he you're says good. this is this is a rare occurrence. Um, but continuous disruptive innovation is is about a management team who's willing to think outside of the box, acknowledging the competitive landscape, not being naive or 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 sticking your head in the sand as it relates to your competitors, mm-hmm. but who are willing to to push through competitive threats and and invest in research and development. And that's a very for-profit, you know, corporate term. Mm -hmm. But when Mm -hmm. I think of associations, what are you, not just what are you doing now? How are you keeping your members served? How are you delivering on your mission now? Mm -hmm. But what is the future? What is the disruption that you are going to bring to the table? What is the product service or technology that you are going to deliver to your membership that will result in a value creation that is ongoing? It's an uncomfortable space though, isn't it? It's not of course, it's scary for... as hell. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and, and do you not feel a wee bit like we've all had enough of disruption? But this is where I like going back to the 2010 definition of disruption. Uh-huh. We've now come to understand disruption as geopolitical shifts and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. socioeconomic change and cultural transitions and you know, generational shifts and pan- global pandemics. I want to go back to the good old days where a disruption was a new product or a new service or a new approach to your business that changed everything. Mm-hmm. I think that's a lot safer and easier to wrap your mind around than all of the the shifts in the world that that we are, that are out of our control. Yeah, no, I get that. I do. No, I absolutely, I absolutely. What I think is interesting is really 
what is interesting, as I said earlier, you know, when I've been doing my research on this, and, and, <laughs> and I did do some research, is actually there's not a lot really been written about it in the 10 years since this, this uh, article. There hasn't. There hasn't, which is why I brought it to you, because I wanted mm-hmm. to see if you could find anything else, if we could tease this out. Um, you know, and again, I've invited... Uh, Chris with Bridge Sphere to uh, to join us in our in our next iteration of this conversation because I want to hear how it's been pursued. Uh, you know, you you do hear a lot about innovation, you hear a lot about disruption, but they're not they're not paired. They're not they're not the yin and yang that that this approach considers them to be. That disruption is your opportunity for innovation, and if you aren't driving it, then you are the one being a victim of it. Yeah, because as your uh, competitors push it through. Yes, because effectively, what we're what we're talking about is disruption as the core component of your business model. We're constantly we're being the we're always at the forefront. We're not just early adopters. We're not we're not early adopters. We're actually the we're actually the entity or the group at the front of the of uh, you know what's what's the word at the head of the arrow if you like. We're actually constantly changing and evolving, and updating and modifying and modernizing. Um, our service or our product to to keep up with, you know, or, or to or to lead changes that are going on socioeconomically, et cetera, technologically, et cetera. Um, but again, you know, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking a nonprofit. Well, let me rephrase this. The the, the examples that this guy uh, quotes, you know, which back in 2010 were the obvious examples, which were Apple and Google. Interestingly, I would argue in 2022, I don't see Apple and Google as the disruptors anymore. I think there are others now who are who are disruptive. Right. And actually, Google and Apple are quite commonplace. Um, likewise, which is that, interesting. You know, that, that, and that's what they predict in this article, is that once you are an original disruptor, yeah. you will then shift to a strategy of defense, of, of protecting protecting what you've acquired, what protecting mm-hmm. what you've developed mm-hmm. and, and trying to ensure that your days in the sun, as he says, are as long as possible, but, but you, you no longer, you, you can't innovate and protect at the same time. And go but ahead. Can it, can it be cyclical? Can you be a dis, you know, can you engage, you know, for X number of months or years, you know, be the market leader as it were, be the global um, benchmark, uh, for continuous disruption, then go into a phase of um, what was the phrase? Sorry, the, the, the phrase of you know defense. What are you calling it? Defensive. Well, the, he calls it disrupt, then defend. No, disrupt. Can you go into that cycle, but then come back out of that and go back into the wanting to be the market leader, wanting to be the benchmark? Well, it you know, has you, to. I mean, your yeah. disruptions will expire, right? Your disruptions will become commonplace. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we've seen that over the last 24 months where going virtual, webinars, Zooming, uh, hybrid meetings, all of that used to be a disruption. That used to be an innovation. It's now yeah. becoming commonplace. There will have to be the next. There will have to be the next push forward. And my question to associations and nonprofits is, are you brave enough to invest in those questions and to try and experiment and invest in those opportunities and solutions? Or are you just going to wait until your competitors figure it out and then ride their coattails and yeah. try to come up with something as good? Yeah, or play catch up, and or play catch up. Of and, course, and, play catch up, yeah, and lose out um, on a big chunk of your opportunity. 
So what does this, I'm just trying to wrap my head around this in terms of, right, so I'm, I'm, I'm an association exec listening to this now. I'm thinking, yeah, okay, I get, I get what these guys are talking about. For a change, I understand <laughs> they're making sense for a change. Yes. Um, what what in practice does this look like? What in practical terms, from an association or a nonprofit perspective, does this look like? Um, and I don't mean I don't mean to identify you know what what are, what are the specifics of you know what does an innovative service or product look like? What does the what does what does the cycle look like? What does the culture look like? What do, what do we need to have in place? for an organization to feel comfortable or uncomfortable indeed, but willing to be the disruptor, to be the innovative disruptor. You know, for me, and and I'm someone who works a lot in the strategic planning space, Mm -hmm. which is, is uh, managing foresight with, you know, practical understanding of capacity and potential and, and, and serving your mission. I think this is bigger than that. This is the this is the universe in which strategic planning is, is a, a planet and continuous disruptive innovation to me is about listening differently, asking different questions and investing in different ways, not just about plugging in that, that new or next technology and being proud of yourselves for having a fresh website or a, a new LMS. This is about thinking beyond that. To me, this is the truly exciting and, um, scary brainstorming that an organization gets to do about how it is not going to just build upon the past, but truly change the future. And those are, those are scary questions. Those are answers that may not even come in our lifetime, but how can an association start down those paths and lay this plant, the seeds and lay the groundwork for for those disruptions, those services, those technologies, those changes that really shift yeah. and evolve that profession or that industry or or that that membership. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm just it's interesting. Earlier on, you pointed to, you know, you said, you know, you you mentioned risk. And yeah, that, that's the catch here. <laughs> well, and, and, and it's interesting. It's funny because earlier before we before we before I came on and we started recording, I was actually writing up um, another for I was writing up some uh, an article around risk and, and the a willingness to embrace risk and how we understand our collective appetites. And for me, you know, and you know, I love risk. I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Let's just do it. No, let's just do it. If it works, brilliant. If it doesn't, we'll just move on to the next thing. And and I'm always willing to fail. And I'm always willing to learn from that. And I'm happy to fail quickly and to fail badly and then just move on and learn from it. I suppose, actually, what we're pointing to here is not just this. It's not just systems and processes and protocol in place. We actually need a whole culture around this, don't we? This is yes. a re- this is an inherently this this is an inherently cultural piece that we're talking, isn't it? And this and, is a go ahead. Go on. No, go on. Go on. This is about having the right staff who understand the landscape and are empowered to, you know, it's as cheesy as it sounds, to think outside the box. Well, also they need to be empowered to fail. And I think Absolutely. too often. And that's that off- cultural yeah. piece you're talking about. And now is the scariest time 
I know organizations that are patting themselves on the back for having just survived the last 24 months. So let's just, and they're so happy yeah. they've made it. But let's, now is yeah. when now is when you have the greatest potentially greatest risk, but greatest opportunity to be propelled forward by taking a new risk. Well, I would say now is when you've probably got the greatest appetite as well, because obviously, if you know, boards have you know collectively as teams come through the last two years. Seeing that they've survived, seeing that their executives have, you know, been adaptable, flexible, um, you know, people have been able to move quickly. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Well, you're, I, I laugh because you're you're assuming organizational agility. You're you're making some assumptions that aren't always the case in a lot of organizations. Not everyone's made it through these last twenty four months at all, and and definitely not at the same level of success and achievement. Mm, okay. Okay, but those guys are on a different trajectory and probably True. they're not aren't ready going for this. They're not ready it. for yeah. this at all. No, no. So within the context of wanting to adopt a, a culture of continuous disruptive innovation. Um, yes, you first have then, to allow failure. You have to allow voice, mm-hmm. people to have ideas. Yeah. Um, you have to have some resources. You can't have zero money in the bank if you want to invest in in the exploration of, of new value propositions of alternative delivery models of, of new environments and, and platforms. Um, and you, yeah. Yeah. So and yeah, need, there, there yeah. are definitely ingredients that you have to have before you can begin this recipe. I love this. I love this. You know, as we're talking, as we're talking, uh, I'm just, I'm writing down, I think there's I think there's a whole piece here we're going to, I think we're actually going to author something what do you think I think there's a Well I think we need to do some more research and I No put, we've I... done enough research we've done enough <laughs> it's fine it's okay we've done we've done our research we've got this one 2000 word article is it even that maybe 1500 word article boom research done now we're authoritative in our understanding and appreciation of it <laughs> But you know I have we have colleagues in the the association space who uh who champion things like grand challenges and yep. and foresight yep. and and visionary long-term planning and all those yep. things sound great but I, I gravitated to this because it had a corporate foundation it yep. had a for-profit mm-hmm. history and and I like those things because I like the level of speed and aggression yeah. that for-profit organizations can can move with I, I think it's important to always recognize competitors, and I, I, I find associations less than willing to to explore those challenges well, or I'm potential gonna, partnerships. Gonna, you know that I'm going to be the I'm going to be the contentious one because you know I always am. I think a lot of I think a lot of nonprofits are apathetic to it. I think they have a long history. I think they have a, a, a you know a long tenure in the space in which they occupy. And I think they're slow to recognize and respond to um, the realities um, of, of the markets in which, in fact, they don't even use the language of markets. No, um, and they're, they're trapped. They're trying to serve their, what I call legacy membership. Yes. You know, those past chairs and those 10-year members and 20-year members who want things the way they have been. Yes. And they're trying to serve their current young and maybe early and mid-career members and then they're trying to appeal to and have some relevance with a future membership. I mean they're trapped going in every direction serving so many masters that mm-hmm. they have become completely impotent. Yes. And it's sad. It's sad seeing them all chase their tails 
And to me, this, this is a very scary management style. It's not appropriate for every organization, but, you know, I I would ask an executive and, and a board, are you, are you going to change this space? Are you going to be, you know, the Apple or the Google of, of your, your industry, your profession, your specialty, your niche. And if you're just going along to host an annual meeting and print a magazine and, and stick to the status quo, then I think your, your years are numbered. Yeah. Yeah. You should start planning now for the end as it were. Um, It might be a dramatic, well, it might be a slow demise, but the reality is, you know, I think we're not working. We're not, we're not, we're no longer working in any environment uh, market environment um, that any of us have worked in before. We've had this unprecedented period of stability, um, you know, the last 50, 60, 70 years that has, and, and technology, since this article was written 10 years ago, is demonstrating, and, and every day there's something new now, technology is demanding of us to work in a completely different in completely different ways, in completely different markets, in completely different with completely different forecasts that it hasn't done in the past. You know, the last twenty years have just seen our us accelerate constantly in a technological context that we can't ignore or pretend that isn't happening. And last two years have demonstrated that it's impossible to ignore um, the technological benefits as well as challenges of the markets in which we work now so you know tell me when and i know that you always when you go into a into a in with a board and with an executive team you i know you you always challenge them to to be creative and to be brave and courageous and to and to think broader than than they perhaps have been are you going to now be using the the language of continuous disruptive innovation is that where you're going to be focusing your and challenging your your teams when you walk in that room? I think to your earlier point, it's about knowing their appetite, knowing mm-hmm. where they are on the spectrum of innovation and disruption. Because mm-hmm. not every group is ready for it. But those no. groups that are, yes, I think there's some different and challenging questions to be asked. Mm-hmm. It's it's mm-hmm. about looking beyond just surviving this year or adapting to and catching up with the changes that are already in place. I want to know about their drivers of change and what the members of the future expect. And I want to envision not just to serve, but envision to create the future that they think their members will best most benefit from. So there's more research to be done. I know you won't do any more homework, but I'll do some more homework on this. Um, (laughs) You go focus on, (laughs) you go focus on some attention economics I'm going to look into continuous disruptive innovation because I think mm-hmm. both have applications for the nonprofit and association spaces. I think these are this is some of the terminology, both from science and from the corporate world, that we can adapt. Uh, and and there's opportunities here. And I want to just link it always back to that piece we did last year about futures literacy as well. Absolutely. All of this is is entwined. And so I'm always going to want to bring it back to that as well. But that's my final point. Thank you, by the way. (laughs) Thank you for bringing the continuous. uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Because I love it. No. And thank you to our listeners. If you do have any ideas or thoughts on continuous disruptive innovation or other topics that you'd like us to explore that you think would have value in the association space, we encourage you to email us at hello at your consort.com. 
Um, you can also find Association Transformation anywhere you get your podcasts. Make us one of your favorites. And until next time, we ask you to put your members and your mission first.